past couple of Wednesday nights that we've had the opportunity to be behind the pulpit, we have talked about confident Christianity, and this will be the third message in that series, confident Christianity. Let me say this before I go any further, because I will forget. I want to thank personally uh, Pastor Tim Brady for preaching Sunday morning in my stead. He did a wonderful, wonderful job, and uh, I laughed with you over YouTube uh, later in the archive, and was encouraged, and I'm thankful that it, it kind of goes into what we're talking about tonight, that God hears our prayer, that he still answers prayer, and uh, I'm thankful for him, and then Pastor Nathan did a wonderful, fantastic job last Wednesday night a week ago today, and uh, just a very timely message for our church family. I want to thank those men. I told Brother Tim Brady, we were texting, and I was actually standing uh, in the, the, the exact same church, David Hensley, you'll appreciate this where C.H. Spurgeon preached for so many years in London, England, at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And I was so overwhelmed. We, we kind of interrupted some of their activity. They were so kind to let us come in and be tourists and look at their church and stand just a few feet from Spurgeon's pulpit and see that same gallery that he looked at as he preached those many years. We're talking about the 1800s. And it struck me as wonderful a man as Spurgeon was and as, as powerful as his preaching and his teaching. Was he a perfect man? No. Was he a perfect theologian? No. But he was faithful to the word of God. Amen. And he cultivated generational passion and love and respect for the word of God. In other words, Metropolitan Tabernacle was not built on the man Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Metropolitan Tabernacle was built on the Word of God, a fundamental, fundamental truth of their church. And when we were there, they were still active. There was a, Brother Mark, you would appreciate this, there was a service happening for Iranian Christians who had fled Iran and they were having a Bible study in Farsi in the sanctuary while we were there. There were hundreds of children pouring in from London City Center. Imagine in the day and hour that we're living and with, with security, they're able to go into certain parts of London proper with vans and bring in children that have come from all over the world who have immigrated to London. And what's funny about that is there isn't a sense of hostility in the hearts of the immigrants who have just come from third world poverty towards the church. There's a sense of curiosity. There's a sense of wonder. What is this all about? There's not a hardening of of the new world that they're living in. And so there's a hunger and a desperation amongst many of these families. And that church was full of folks from literally all over the world. And here's what I know, church. If the Lord tarries and Trinity Baptist Church is here another 100 years, another 150 years, it will be here then because we also make that commitment, a passion for the Word of God. It is the only thing that will withstand the test of time. The Word of God. Let the church say amen to that. It's the Word of God. And speaking of the Word of God, 1 John chapter 5. Tonight we'll continue in this thought, this sort of midweek series on confident Christianity. And really these messages came from a portion of a message a few weeks ago on the Lord's Day about living beneath our privilege. That Christians, especially in 2023, that we are living beneath the privilege of what God allows and even what God expects of His children, a vast 
resource of why you can be confident in who he is and what he is and what it means to live even in the land of always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies, as the Apostle Paul put it in Titus, that even in that land, even in that culture, even in that glaring evil, you can still be confident, again, not because of who you are, as we'll see again tonight, but because of who he is. And no matter what you're going through in life, no matter the circumstance, if you are in the faith and you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, it really means something. It's not just a cute little term. It's not a social media tag. It's not just something you wear on Sunday and Wednesday, but it really truly means something to be a born-again believer. And so tonight, with the help of the Lord, let's go to the 13th verse and just get this in context. You need to read all of 1 John. It's a wonderful, wonderful book of the Bible. But let's read the 13th verse to the 15th verse. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that's to the Christians, and then notice the language, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desire of him. Let's pray. Holy Father, in Jesus' precious name, Lord, thank you again for an opportunity to be here tonight, Lord, to be with our church family, God, with the believers who are hungry for your word. And Lord, tonight we all have life and we all have things on our mind. And Lord, there's so much pressure and there's so much life that's happening even as we walk through the doors tonight. But God, we believe and we know that you have us here tonight for a purpose and for a reason. Lord, you're not wasting anybody's time tonight, but Lord, because of your word and the truth of your word, Lord, we can lean into what it says. And Lord, our lives can be changed, our hearts can be encouraged. And Father, through your word, we can leave here even more confident in what you've done and what you've accomplished in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. On the first message on confident Christianity, we called this passage in 1 John sort of our confidence contract with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our confidence contract. If you are looking for legally binding language on what it means to be a Christian and why you can be legally, if you will, able to be confident, then this is the language that you would use to prove that you can be confident. There is no reason for a Bible believer, a Christian, someone who's in the faith, to ever live in a sort of weak, supine position of fear, of doubt, of depression, uh, of anything that does not look like what the Bible describes as a confident Christian, even in the face of great uh, persecution, even in the face of great problem and issue and life that happens to all of us there's still an opportunity for Christians to live differently than the world as confident believers. And we've pointed that out. We, we've talked about the five aspects of Christian confidence. And the one we really took apart in that first message was confidence of eternal life in Jesus Christ. This is for saved people. Boy, let me say that again. This is for saved people. This is a benefits package. This is binding language for people who are in the faith. You have to be confident that you're saved to be a confident 
Christian. It does not come the other way around. You're putting the uh, cart before the horse. If you have doubts about your salvation, if you have doubts about eternal security, then you have to get those things settled with the Lord before you can live above fear, above anxiety, above what life can be often, and have confidence. It's so important to live your life as a Christian with eternal security. And a lot of people struggle these days with their salvation. Am I saved? Uh, did I pray the right prayer? Did I move at the right time in the message? Did I sign the card the right way? I had one, one teenage girl come to my office not too long ago. She met with me and my wife and she said these words. I'm afraid I didn't come quick enough that day during the invitation I'm afraid I waited too long uh, to come at the end of the invitation and I'm afraid that God's mad at me for not coming quick enough that I should have got up out of my seat and run to the altar. Uh, what I told that little girl and what I told many of you from the pulpit that first Wednesday night is that you can have absolute confidence in your eternal security and in your salvation because you had so little to do with your salvation in the first place. God the Holy Ghost drew you. God the Holy Ghost opened up your eyes. And praise God, you couldn't mess it up if you wanted to. Praise the Lord. In Christ-like faith, you accepted the free gift of salvation. God did the saving. God did the sanctification. God did all of the justification. And he imparted to you his righteousness. It's not up to how good I am. It's not up to how many candles I light. It's not up to how many good deeds I do as the Catholics falsely preach. It's up to God the Holy Ghost to do the work. Praise the Lord for that. If my salvation depended on me tonight, I would be in serious, dire trouble. But it's up to God. And we talked about why we can be confident of our eternal life because it is secured by God himself and it's all secured in Jesus. And then secondly, we began the process of peeling back the many, many layers of confidence in answered prayer in the will of God. Confidence of answered prayer in the will of God. It's one thing to pray and to ask and to bring supplication to the Lord. It's another thing to understand, and it's even another thing to believe with all of your heart that not only does God hear me when I pray, but praise God, He hears me and He answers my prayer according to His will. Thank God we do not serve a God that is a concrete statue with jewel eyes surrounded in candles or, or, or a spirit or a scent or, or a scent that comes from an incense candle or that I don't have to go out here and pray to one of the mountaintops. Thank God I can pray to a living God who not only will hear me, but will respond to me. And you say, and here's what we've got to be so careful with. As I was studying, preparing, even this morning in my office, I, I, this came to my heart. Oftentimes, especially if you've been a Christian a long time, let's do this, let's take a little poll. If you've been saved longer than 15 years, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Praise God, tomorrow is my 18th spiritual birthday. 18 years since I've been saved. Praise the Lord for that. But, but never allow these simple, basic truths that are so powerful to become cliche. Just because you've heard and you've read and you've memorized John 3.16 all your life does not mean that John 3.16 ever becomes cliche 
or irrelevant. John 3.16 means just as much today as it meant in 1611. John 3.16 means as much today as it will mean a hundred years from now. It will never become cliche. And it can't become cliche in the operations of God's dialogue with his children. It's wonderful. It's one of the greatest things about having a God who is alive and well is that he is alive to be able to respond and to listen to you and that he loves you and cares enough for you to listen to you. Never let it become cliche that God hears your prayer or that God will answer your prayer. Go back to these two verses, 14 and 15. This is really the root and the heart of this. But it says, and this is the confidence that we have in who? In Him. This is confidence that we have. Okay, so it's possessive. It's confidence that I possess. I have this confidence. But notice that that confidence has not been sourced from me. This is outsourced, borrowed confidence. This is confidence that I did not do in my own. This is confidence that I did not create. This isn't confidence because I put on a suit and a tie or because I belong to a Bible-believing Baptist church or because I'm faithful to, to X, Y, and Z. Notice that this confidence, it says, that we have is in Him. It's His confidence. It's about who He is that He imparts to us as believers. That if we, if we ask, if we ask... We have to stop right here for just a second and say there is a great famine of asking. There's a great famine in the modern church, especially in America, where we're not praying for clean water tomorrow, where we're not praying for the next meal to come tomorrow, where we're not like our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in South Korea who are praying that Kim Jong-un will not fire the missile tomorrow, who live under constant pressure of a nuclear attack. Those Christians pray, we need you now prayers. Brother Tim talked about that Sunday. We pray differently because we live differently and our circumstances are different. But if you ever have to look at your children in the face and say, honey, I'm sorry, I wasn't able to shoot a squirrel or a rabbit on my hunt today. We'll just have to have a little bit of cornmeal and whatever's left in the cupboard. That, that happened not too many generations ago right here in Western North Carolina. Our founding pastor, it's not that far separated, knew what hunger was. He knew what it was not to, to find a squirrel or a rabbit or, or, or a meat on a hunt and not go with, with food. That's not been too long ago in America. And I promise you that generation, especially the great depression generation, prayed differently than we do. When World War II broke out, we prayed differently. I remember I was 11 years old, September 11th, 2001. This building didn't even exist. I remember the response of God's people was to flood that old building. I just happened to get picked up that day. Terry and Debbie McCoy had me, their son Luke. And I remember we came here to church on a Tuesday. Why did God's people flood the house on a, on a Tuesday? Because we were desperate and we needed to ask God for something. And some of us have just gotten so out of the practice of going to our benevolent, merciful, mighty, uh, capable God and asking him for what he's able to do. 
And, and we live our lives in this uh, revolving door of sadness, sorrow, depression. I, I feel like I can't do anything about it. There's nothing ever going to change. And so I'm just going to be sad, dejected, deflated. And when God comes and gets me, I guess that'll be fine. It'll be over. When God says, come ask me. Tell me what you need. Tell me what your heart is feeling. Tell me that you don't feel like you belong. Tell me that you feel like a stranger in a room of believers and that you can't connect. Tell me there's an issue with depression. Tell me that that suicidal thought has crossed your mind this week more than once. And tell me and then ask me for help. And some people just simply need to learn how to ask again. Ask him. He said, and this is the confidence that, that we have in him, that if we may ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. His will. It is God's will. Listen to me now. It is God's perfect will that his children are not anxious. The Bible says be anxious for nothing. It's the word of God. It is God's will that his children be not depressed. There's joy in the Lord. It's sweeter than honey, the word of God. It is God's will that God's people get along and love each other. Just as Christ loved you and gave himself for the church. There are some of these things that we can stop worrying ourselves to death about. And just know that it is God's will for you to be happy. To be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey and to ask him for the days that you feel like you can't trust, you can't obey, and that you are anxious, that you are depressed, and that you are dejected, and that you are sad, and that you've been a member of this church for 50 years and you feel like you've lost your identity. Whatever you are and whoever you are, you can ask him. And according to his will, he heareth us. So let's talk about what we said a couple of weeks ago. Because I believe wholeheartedly this is part of the problem in American Christianity is we don't understand who God is and what God is and how he works and how he communicates with his children. Before you can understand confidence as a Christian in prayer, you have to understand a little bit of the sovereignty of God. Now, I know that children in childlike faith pray to God and they believe that he hears them and they believe that he answers. But as you grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, you should grow in what you know about God. It does nothing but expand your faith. It does nothing but draw you to, to worship him more, to believe him more. I want to know as much as I possibly can about who my God is. Because I still cannot quantify or, or come up with a, a good solution on why he loves me, even me. Why would this God with such power and control and might and glory who is perfect in everything, who has always been, why would he want anything to do with me? It's just more knowledge for me to be able to worship him appropriately. One day, thank God I'll have a glorified body and I'll get to do that to the best of God's ability for me. Praise the Lord. We talked about his sovereignty. I don't want to re-preach these. If you weren't here for that message, go back and listen to them. Let me give you those four and then we'll move on to the new content. But God is sovereign over the universe. God is sovereign over salvation. Amen, amen, amen. God is sovereign over suffering. Yes, even suffering. And then God is sovereign in divine purpose. God is sovereign. Amen. Now, this phrase, 
the answered prayer. You have to understand what the writer is saying here. You're to pray according to God's will and pray in accord with what he wants rather than what we desire on the surface. This is where it becomes very difficult for human beings. I'm saved, I'm sanctified, but I'm still waiting for glorification. I still battle the guy I shave every morning. Me. Do you want to know what my biggest problem is? You're looking at him. That's a big problem. I'm my biggest problem. My flesh. I'm like Thomas. I'm like Peter. I'm like Moses. I'm like all of these uh, people in the Bible that God has used that have fractures. They're, 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 they're not perfect people. I have issues. And one of them is remembering that sometimes I just need to go to my father and ask according to his will. And sometimes I pray this prayer, the path of least resistance. God, here's what I want to happen. I believe it's in your will. And God, this is how I want you to do it. Okay, here's the good news. Sometimes God loves you so much that he answers your prayer exactly the way you want it to be answered. I've seen it happen. Don't tell me God doesn't answer prayer. Don't tell me that God doesn't hear even the little intricate details of our heart and life. There are things that maybe God will let me preach when I get older one day that I can't wait to preach. I just need a little more season to get there. I believe God can still answer even the most minute, intricate, detailed prayers of the most innocent children anywhere in the world, anytime, according to his will. There's one of, one of the greatest stories I've ever heard in my life about prayer comes from a lady in this church when she was a child and she was in that moment experiencing a little hunger in the house. Things weren't right at home. The food wasn't in the cupboard. It wasn't in the refrigerator. And she was hungry for one thing in particular. And she prayed as a child, Lord, I would love to have a piece of white, squishy bunny bread. And wouldn't you know it that she pulls out the chair to sweep the kitchen floor as her mother had instructed her to do. And because she was obedient to do what her mommy had told her to do to sweep the kitchen floor, somehow the, uh, during the morning when someone was making a sandwich or making loaf to go out, a piece of that loaf of bread fell off the little platter and it fell perfectly on that chair so that when the little girl pulled out the chair, after she had prayed the prayer for a piece of bread five minutes ago, God provided that little girl a piece of white squishy bunny bread and she said it was the best tasting white squishy bunny bread she'd ever had in her entire life. You say that's silly. No, I believe in a benevolent God who answers even the little small prayers just to let people know that God is in control. There are many of you that have that same prayer. You've prayed the same little prayers that may seem silly to other people, but praise God, because you are asking in faith, he will answer. Now, don't take this little clip out on YouTube and say that Winston Parrish preaches prosperity gospel, that if you go home and pray for a million dollars tomorrow to be underneath your pillow, that it's going to be there. You're wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying according to his will. It may not be God's will for you to have a million dollars. He may not be able to trust you with a million dollars. Then again, maybe he would so ask anyway we've got an educational building to build amen now he hears us don't ever let that become cliche he always hears when we pray but he doesn't always answer in the manner in which we prayed 
Now, here's something that God helped my heart with as I studied this this past week. But God has made this perfect for us. His design, his love, the commerce and the economy of prayer, the economy of confident Christianity is rooted in one thing. And it's rooted in God's love for you and for me as believers. Here's what that means. The confidence that God gives us is rooted in the love of God that he has for us. You see, understanding God's love for us will banish self-condemnation. Hear what I'm saying. If you will begin to understand the confidence that you have as a Christian, then you're going to be able to understand the love that God has for you. And when you begin to understand the love that God has for you, then what you begin to realize is, hey, I, I really do have a God that hears me. And I really do have a God that loves me. And he loved me so much that not only did he save me, but he hears me and he answers my prayer. And when a Christian recognizes in his life the manifestation of God's love towards him or her in the change in their life, in other words, I can go back and say for sure that 18 years ago tomorrow, there was a different Winston. There was a different Winston after I left that building next door. Something happened to me when I left that building. Did I stay perfect? No. Did I mess up after I got saved? Yes. But here's what I know. God loved me enough to save me anyway. And now that I have grown in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, I have become more confident, not in who I am, my God, but in who he is and because of the love he has shed upon me. What is the evidence of that love? I'm a different person. I'm a changed creature. The Bible says I'm a new creature, that all things are passed away. Thank God this Friday night, you won't find me in a bar drunk. Not because of me or my works or who I am, but because of the love of God. And when I realize that the love of God has compelled me to live differently, then praise God, I can be confident. Does it mean that every once in a while that the old cravings of the old man don't come back and rear their ugly head? No. We're still flesh. We still struggle. There's still a war that rages every day. But because of the love of God imparted to me, I can be confident that I can win over the sin because of Jesus. That's confident Christianity. It's the domino effect of God's love. And when you start to understand that God loves you and that he loves you right where you are, as you are growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, it will make you more confident. You don't have to be Charles Haddon Spurgeon tomorrow. You haven't been saved that long. You haven't been studying scripture that long. Quit making yourself out to be something that you're not and be a baby in Christ. Drink the milk and go for the meat. And understand that God loves you. And that even in your infancy, when you pray in childlike faith, that God hears you and that he loves you and that you can be confident. Well, I'll never, here's what I wrestled with all my life. I knew Brother Clayton when I was 16 years old, a year after I got saved. I knew a year after I got saved at 16 years old that God wanted me to preach. I knew it. Like, like you and me sitting here talking, I absolutely knew that God wanted me to preach. 
but in my weakness and in my lack of confidence that came from lack of knowledge of the love of God for me. My answer was always this. I'll never be him. I'll never be my dad is the greatest missionary I've ever known. I'll never be Ralph Sexton Sr. I'll never be all these men who have preached faithfully and taught all those years. I'll never be able to even scratch the surface of who they are. And so because I, I can't ever be who they are, I, I'll just have to stay in this weak fledgling of life and I'll never surrender because I'll never be able to fill those shoes. And you know what God was saying the whole time? I don't want you to wear their shoes. I want you to wear your shoes. Just wear your shoes. I made them for you. They're custom. They're even comfortable. Hey, when you get inside God's perfect will for your life, things will be more comfortable. A lot of people are living their life in anxiety, depression, worry, doubt, and fear. And it's not because that your mama and your daddy spanked you. They needed to spank you more. I'm one of them. In love, it's because you're outside of the will of God. And you just need to get in God's will. His perfect will. You say that's hard on people who have chemical imbalance and issues that are diagnosed by a doctor. I'm not saying that. If your doctor has looked at you and said, take your medicine, then listen to your doctor and take your medicine. We'll all thank you for it. Yeah. Praise the Lord. But if all of a sudden you start making some changes in your life and you stop going to the one who knows and asking, and you're making decisions and you're making job changes and you're pulling your kids out of this school to be hip in that school with those kids and that family and that travel ball team and this and that. And if we start leaving God out of some of these asks that should have been asked, you'll get out of God's perfect will for your life and you know what you'll be? You'll be nervous. You'll be anxious. There's no peace for the believer outside of God's will for your life. That's a benefit of being saved. The benefit is that he will chasten you and correct you so that you can get back in his perfect will for your life. The confident Christian can pray knowing that God hears our prayer and will answer according to his will. Now where we have to let go is just saying, God, here's what I'm praying here is the desire of my heart. But God, more than I want the desire of my heart, I want your desire of your heart for me. But see, we pray for a lot of things. I'll start wrapping up here. I have prayed a lot of prayers that I'm so thankful God didn't answer. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. The prayers I prayed and begged and weeped and pleaded. And if God would have answered that prayer, I wouldn't be your pastor today. If God hadn't answered that prayer, I wouldn't be married to my precious wife who is my helpmeet, who I believe with all my heart God has assigned to this church just as much as he has assigned me. Prayers that I prayed that he didn't answer. You know why? Because God sees everything and knows everything. Let me give you a few th of those points and we'll have to cut it off for tonight. We'll have to come back to this and really do a part three of this prayer thing. Because if we can unlock the key to the prayer, then you can unlock the confidence. You can't have confidence if you don't pray. And you can't pray if you don't understand who you're praying to. We've talked about who he is, his sovereignty, but now let's just talk about some of his capabilities. Again, this is a refresher course for those of you that have been gnawing on meat for a long time. But if you're new in the faith or you've just been saved a short while, this is new to you and you need to consume it, you need to write it down and you need to know it. Number one, God is omnipotent. 
which means that he is all powerful. This is who you're praying to. There is nothing that has power over our God. Okay, let's take it in. Don't let it become cliche. There is nothing, there is not a military, there is not a force, there is not a science, there is not a chemical agent. There is nothing in the universe known to man and not known to man that is more powerful than our God. That is who we are praying to. Why can we be confident? Because God is omnipotent. Psalm 135, 5 and 6. For I know, I thank God for confident language. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth and in the seas and all deep places. There is nothing, nowhere that God can't touch. God's above it all. Name it, God's above it. The American military, God's above it. Enemies of the American military, God's above it. Supernatural beings, the government of Satan himself, the spiritual wickedness in high places. Yes, our God is above it. And that's who we're praying to. Secondly, God is omniscient, which means that God is all-knowing. There is nothing, listen now, there's nothing. When you're praying tonight for that burden that's on your heart, you're praying to a God who knows everything and who has never had anything occur to him. God has never had anything come to his mind like, oh, I remember that. No, he's just always known it. God is omniscient. Psalm 147 verse 5. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. It means that it doesn't end. There's nothing about you that he doesn't get. Let's make it personal. I love talking about the mountains and the seas and the, as Poppy would say, the galaxies. But let's make it personal. What about you? What about you? Do you think God knows how you really feel? Do you think God knows the thoughts that you have driving on the way home tonight? Some of those thoughts will sound like this. Boy, I wish Sonic still had cookie dough. I wonder if the red light's on, the Krispy Kreme. No, I'm trying to be good. I got some of that rice milk ice cream in the freezer. Oh, it's terrible. Cookie dough bad. Rice dream good. Those will be some of the thoughts. And that's funny. God knows it. And then some thoughts will be this. I don't know how I'm going to get up and go to work in the morning. I don't know how I'll go back to the cancer center and take another treatment. And God knows. Aren't you thankful that God knows? I can't handle seeing another child succeed while my child struggles. God knows. And the truth is, he already knows it. So why don't you just tell him how you feel? My marriage is over. It ended in ruin. It's all my fault. I'll never be happy again. God knows the real story. He sees it all. It's so personal yet so big all at the same time. And here's what's great. The same things that you think and the same things that you feel here tonight, we're at 216 Shelburne Road, a very small, small patch on the great quilt of God's family of his church. That same prayer that you have of God, my heart's breaking because of X, Y, and Z. That same God is so powerful that he knows about the children who are in places like Zimbabwe who are saying, God, 
I hope tomorrow I can find a liter of clean water so that my mom can boil it and that we can drink something tomorrow. And as much as he loves that child who's longing for clean water, he loves you enough to pay you attention and answer your prayer. God could start prioritizing some things is my point, yet he doesn't in love. He's just so powerful that he can do it all at the same time. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. And then lastly, God is omnipresent. God is altogether in every capability and every capacity of who he is, everywhere, all the time. There's never been a place off limits to our God. There's never been a place that anyone could ever run to get away from our God. You may think even tonight you're concealed amongst the church family and that God doesn't know you and that God doesn't see you or that God is not here even now as his word is being preached and as the Holy Ghost is doing his work. God is here now and he'll be here at 12 o'clock midnight tonight and he'll also be at your home and he'll be in your children's bedroom and he'll be at the White House tomorrow and he'll be listening and he'll be seeing and hearing everything that every human being does on earth. Yet... He will not be overloaded because he is omnipresent. And he can be anywhere he pleases because he's already there. Five years from now, he's already there. Ten years from now, he's already there. Quit thinking of God as linear and understand him to be absolutely, totally encompassing about everything you've ever known and know that he's there. That's who you're praying to. Psalm 139, and we're done. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. <laughs> He's there. We got to start teaching our kids that God's everywhere. He knows, he sees, and he is because he is our God. And when we go to him in prayer, we can have confidence, not because we can pray good enough or loud enough or fast enough or in the right cadence or with enough words. But if we'll just go to him in sincere honesty and pray, we can have the confidence that he hears us and that he will answer according to to his will. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, thank you for being who you are and what you are. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayer, answering in your will. God, even often protecting us from ourselves. Lord, you are so benevolent. You're so kind. And Lord, over and over again, you take broken, fallen creatures like us and you love us and you hear us and you answer our prayers. God, one of the greatest evidence that you hear when your children pray is the fact that we're standing at 216 Shelburne Road. God, that you heard the prayers of those people back in the 1950s and the 1960s. God, those even in the 40s that began to pray about what to do and where to go. That God, here tonight we stand on holy ground that's been prayed for. God, just a few feet from where I stand, Lord, was the place that our founding pastor used to break bread and have his breakfast.
And Lord, by faith, he prayed that one day Trinity could grow, that Trinity could have a bigger footprint in West Asheville and that Trinity could have more influence globally. And Lord, you answered his prayer. And here we are tonight, years and years later, and you're still answering his prayer. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for every mother that's here who's worried about the future of their children, for every veteran that's in here tonight who's worried about the condition of their country. God, for every Christian who's worried or who's anxious or who's just simply need to come to you confidently and ask, I pray that tonight some believers in this room would get back into the habit of asking with confidence. Lord, take this, seal it in our hearts, be with our children, our teenagers next door, Lord, help them as they grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be living examples as living sacrifices for your glory. It's in Jesus' name, Trinity Baptist Church pray. Amen and amen.